I manage re revenue strategy for OfferUp, specifically B2B. So working uh, within the automotive space with our, our dealer partners and uh, also strategic partners like Social Dealer. Got it. Sorry about that. I know uh, just like uh, most of us, John wears a few hats over there. So I want to make sure I got that right. And then we also have, um, we have John McAdams, who is the VP of sales for Social Dealer. So thank you guys for both being on. I will turn the time over to you and shut my camera off and then we'll talk soon. Perfect. Yeah. Welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us. Um, Appreciate driving sales having us, and we're going to have a, a good conversation on kind of the state of the industry, but looking at some more historical context. So, John, before we jump in, do you want to give a little bit of background on on your your history okay. with the industry? Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, thanks, Alexander. So, um, yeah, I actually started in the car business late '80s. I know that might seem a long time ago for some of our attendees, but I started off selling cars, moved up to sales manager, was a general sales manager, uh, became a director of e-commerce and IT for a top 25 dealer group, and then uh, eventually became the general manager over uh, four points uh, that were not doing too well. <clears throat> and uh, they asked me if I could come and really get them to be more successful in, in uh, printing black ink versus red, so making money. Uh, and I did that for about 15 years. And then for the past 10 or 12 years, I've been really on the vendor side. I started off over at Dealer uh, On with uh, the executive leadership team over there and, and growing Dealer On uh, up until about four years ago. And I've had an opportunity to uh, really run sales for uh, for Social Dealer um, and cer certainly happy to be here on the call with you guys today. Cool. Well, we're excited to, to pull from all your knowledge. Uh so jumping into our discussion topics, there's really going to be uh, three main um, main discussions that we're going to go over. It's uh, reviewing the historical context with where we're at today in the economy, specifically how it compares to 2008 downturn, um, where the disconnects for dealers today, uh, both in their business, con connecting with customers, marketing. Um, and then on the last bit, we're going to talk about how how can dealers better connect with, with buyers, but also close the gaps at their dealerships? So as Bryant uh, suggested, please put in questions as we go. Uh, I am not a fan of talking at people for an hour, um, which is why I love having John here to have a, a free form discussion. Uh, but if you do have questions, if you have uh, something that you'd like to know a little bit more about and we can dive into, please put that into the comments at the bottom of your Zoom. Okay, so industry evolution. John, because you've been in the industry just for you know a couple of years, yeah. um, walk us through kind of what it was like in 2008 leading up to it, just to give us some historical context. Yeah, it, it was an interesting time, right? You know, the car business has been through many, many changes, you know, even before 2008, but I think 2008 was one of those milestones that if you haven't been here in the car business that long, it was one that really became a defining point uh, for us at the car business, right? Um, it was a time where the federal government was giving uh, thousands of dollars to people to turn their old clunkers uh, into car dealers. Uh, and it was a very interesting time. And dealers that embraced it and knew how to take advantage of it and followed all the rules and regulations and the procedures that were involved in getting their money back from the government actually, you know, blossomed and flourished. And that grew into, you know, the the car business as we kind of knew it 
up until around COVID, right? When everybody had a difference in, in going to business and going to market. Um, and uh, and then we came out of COVID and the next thing we happened to hit was, you know, our, our inventory chip shortage, which, you know, we're not out of today, right? There's many brands out there today that are still struggling to get enough vehicles on on the lots for folks to sell. And that's created a unique set of challenges for car dealers, right? Which is, I don't really have enough new cars to sell. All the ones I do have on the order bank are already pre-sold. I might have one or two roll off the truck that aren't pre-sold, but they're going to go off the lot as well. So how do I manage my business going forward from both a fixed operations and a variable operations perspective, right? If your shop was already full and you had no hours left to sell before this, you can't put more cars through the shop and make more money unless you become more efficient or, you know, build more bays, which means that we turn to the front end of the store, which says, how do I then go acquire more used cars quickly and cheaply and more efficiently, right? And sell them at higher grosses, right? While I still make the gross on the new car. So um, the one thing I can tell you that the car business that I've been in it now for 25 plus years is that uh, we we tend to face uh, challenges head on and we find very creative solutions to make sure that we uh, flourish in those uh, decisions that we make. And we should always be looking for the future, right? The future of the car business might not be 30 days away. It might be you know, three months or six months or a year and a half or two years down the road. But we have to look at those situations as they come up. But um, not unusual. I, I think the situation's unusual with the chip shortage. Um, but not unusual for the car business to find itself in some some challenging spots. So so you just went, went over a lot, and there's a couple of things that I want to unpack there. So you talked about in 2008 um, that the the dealerships that were, and I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing. So give me a little bit of rope. Um, the dealerships that were uh, following the regulations are the ones that blossom. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. So we're talking thousands of dollars back from the federal government, right? So you had to yep. take the vehicle in, you had to prove that you destroyed the vehicle, right? So you could not take the vehicle in and retail it back out. You could not take the vehicle in and wholesale it back out. You had to take that vehicle in and prove that it was destroyed. And once that was proven that it was destroyed, you can then, you know, receive your money back from the federal government, right? Yep. So uh, although the a unique situation for a car dealership, which was, I will take your trade, but I cannot retail it out or wholesale it. I must destroy the vehicle, right? But it gave them an opportunity. It gave dealers an opportunity to make two thousand dollars, or you know, on a vehicle that, quite frankly, wouldn't bring two hundred dollars, right? And then convert that potential vehicle turn-in into a new or used vehicle sale opportunity, right? That situation never appeared in my existence in those years in the car business, right? We never had the federal government ponying up all this money for consumers to bring their cars in, right? To get them destroyed because they were not fuel efficient, for example, right? Mm -hmm. um, and move them into a more fuel efficient model. So it presented the dealers with a really unique situation, although they had to, some had to create you know, internal departments to manage the destruction of the vehicle, the paperwork of the destruction of the vehicle and the submission to the government to get their money back. Once cash for clunkers was over, it was over and, and it was kind of business as usual at that point. So you think it was a, a benefit to the, the industry to have, you know, these older, we'll, we'll call them clunker vehicles taken off the road because it, it, it kind of artificially 
regulated this supply. It, it really did, right? It created a couple of challenges. One is those vehicles that I could normally retail or wholesale out of, you know, mm-hmm. and so if you were a car dealer that was making money on wholesale, that affected you. If you were a dealer that believed wholesale should be a net net zero, that didn't affect you. But it, it affected the retail used car operation because as you said, it artificially inflated the influx of these vehicles coming in, right? But I could not retail out of them. And when you can't retail out of a vehicle, it affects things like tax revenues and tax bases and things like that. So it helped other industries, it suppressed, you know, certain industries. So it artificially kind of changed the entire makeup and dynamic of the car business for a very short period of time. I I, I want to say cash for clunkers was a, a three to six month at most run that we had to, to take as many of those, you know, non-fuel efficient vehicles off the road get money from the federal government and move them back into a newer or pre-owned vehicle. So, so do you see any, any similarities with programs that we've had over the past two years? I, I'm, I'm thinking specifically with these um, stipend checks from the, the government. I know a lot of at least offer up users, what we're seeing is that they use it on not, not just products and offer up, but more specifically on a new, new vehicle. Yeah, you know, um, anytime, you know, the federal government um, provides assistance financially, you know, typically people will take those funds and go spend it on something, right? That's the purpose of those funds. So whether uh, you use the funds to go buy a paddleboard, a wakeboard, a jet ski, a motorcycle, or a car, you're using those funds and getting the dollars back into the economy. What we did see is a lot of dealers were then utilizing those funds and matching or coming close to matching or matching plus uh, as advertising position. So if you had $1,000 in federal funds stipend for coming back to you, Alexander, I as a dealer might offer you $2,000 in those stipend funds, right, to come into my dealership versus another dealership. You know, no different than tax season. Many dealers will do the tax season and will double your refund, right? Or, or up to $5,000. So yeah. um, I, I kind of see that, you know, where, where the car business is not constantly, but it's consistently overinflated in different ways, right? Whether it's the stipend or cash for clunkers, um, the chip shortage, which is driving, you know, used cars or even uh, grosses on new cars to unseen heights, which is fantastic today for the car business and the people that work in the car business. But we need to keep an eye on what's going to happen 18 months down the road with those same folks that now might be buried under $18,000 worth of, you know, inequity, right? Yeah. Yep. So shifting the conversation, I'm going to retroactively go back to 2008. um, And we were, we were seeing a, a digital shift at that point in time as well. I remember GM was around that time declaring bankruptcy, but they were still pushing for their franchisees to have websites and kind of create a more digital experience for the customer. And so I, I wanted to see your thoughts on what that was like going from more more analog to digital and having your inventory online to what we're seeing today going from websites being predominant for dealerships to a mobile first experience for consumers and kind of how those consumer preferences are are impacting. Yeah, it was an interesting time, Alexander, for sure, right? You, you got to remember before 2008, we'll call it 2000, 2001, most dealers didn't have a website, right? Google did not yeah. exist back then. 
Um, you know, at the time I was using a tool called Alta Vista and I, I thought Google would never make it past the first month. I was like, Google, that's a weird name. Who's going to use Google, right? Or a meta, I was on Metacrawler too, right? I was, I was on BBS boards selling cars, right? That's how we did it back then. And at the time, I remember there was a lot of discussion amongst not only my dealer group, which is a top 25 dealer group, but others, is, is this going to destroy the traditional brick and mortar car dealership world that we know and love today? That we've known for, mm -hmm. for many, many decades. And, you know, there's always opinions and many, not many, but some opinions said, yes, brick and mortar will not exist anymore as we know it. And others said, this is a great thing for the car dealership world because now we can do things like websites and market ourselves and do our own ads. And all of a sudden Google AdWords came about and now I can market to people in different areas that I couldn't talk to before. Right. So there's always this constant change. That's the one thing about the car business that I think is consistent. It's constant change. So, you know, back then that was an, un, an unusual time, right? You know, when cash for clunkers hit the ground, you know, the way to do it was to build a website that basically was allowed to intake these cars or for you to go onto the website and see if your car was eligible for that, for that stipend, right? In 2008, building a website was much different than building websites today, right? That, that, oh, was, a, that was a big to complete do. Complete different te technology. Complete different, yeah. right? Yeah. That was a big to do. Um, and I, I worked with many dealers where we built, you know, cash for clunkers website specifically for that store or that region to consume mm -hmm. all that online digital traffic that was never there before, because a lot of it was all analog. It was a third party lead coming into a CRM tool. It was a bunch of outbound phone calls, maybe an email blast. Now we're getting into the digital age. I, I look back at those days as the forefront to where we are today, which paved the way for digital retailing. Right. It paved the way for yep. online classifieds, right, in a different manner than they've been done in the past. Right. And it's going to continue down that path. There's always something new on the horizon for the car dealership world. Right. And most of that, if not 90 to 100 percent of that, is now all digital. It's almost all yep. digital. And it's about the experience now. It, was, it wasn't about the experience in 2008. I can, I can assure you that. Now it's about the consumer journey and the experience that they're on and making sure that it's a positive experience for them. So that they want to come back into business with you again. Yeah, we'll we'll get into the customer experience um, here in a little bit. How how do you see going from you know more more analog to to desktop digital? Because now now we're going to almost entirely mobile. I mean, you, you see these up and coming generations uh, being millennial and Gen Z. Majority are doing. 60 plus 70 plus percent of their research and interaction with dealerships on a mobile device. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how, how do you see that kind of impacting the, the everyday dealer? And do you see dealerships adopting mobile uh, or are they a little bit more hesitant? You know, I I'll start with the last part of your question first. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think dealers had any choice, but to become mobile first, right? You know, back in the day, you'd have a mobile website and a desktop website that that was a bad experience. So mm -hmm. when, you know, when, when they start building websites that were rendering for mobile and for desktop, depending on your, on your, your, uh, your equipment, right. That was a better experience for the consumers. Although not many people really understood why that was so important. It really was important about the experience, right. For the consumer, because we knew that many of those fish in that pond were not using desktops. They were at that point using iPads and from iPads, it went to phones, Right. Uh, to the point where, you know, if you use the word desktop now, it's kind of like what do you, it's like a cassette player or an eight track day player. Right. Yeah. Unless you're gaming, who really has a massive desktop? 
right? Um, so, uh, so those challenges, you know, were there back then, and and it it always forces the uh, the industry to pay attention. I think the I think the dealers and the OEMs and even the tier twos that pay attention to what's coming down the pipe next are the ones that win that game. And I, like many people on this call or running stores, were very, although I was very technical all the time, um, we shouldn't shy away from the technology, right? The old ways of selling cars and marketing on newspapers and things like that, they might exist, but they're not the majority, right? We need mm -hmm. to provide a fantastic experience. You know, when I was running my stores, you know, we were still doing the bell to bell. You work every day, you have one day off, but you come in anyway and you know, you're, you're lucky if you had Saturday off, you worked, you worked holidays. And then we wonder why people don't want to work in the dealerships, right? Because, because they're there all the time, you know, so the industry has begun to change, right? Where they, where they make the hours more uh, accessible for, for people who want to work there. We provide technology. When I started at my top 25 dealer group, we had two, two computers in the entire 12 group organization, two, two, two desktops, by the way. Within three years, we had over 500 desktops at the time, right? Yeah. Uh, on top of the old green screens, right? That were provided by the OEM, right? Now I bet you can walk into a dealership. Now I was just at a dealership dropping off my wife's car this morning where it is all digitally focused. I, oh, I, I, every I, every sales sales guy has their own um, own desk, own monitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's, yeah. everything's gone digital, you're right. I, I, I barely got in my car. I received the text that they took my car into the shop. If you have any questions, just text me back. And yep. I had some questions. I texted back and forth and there's no more. I don't need to phone call the dealer. I don't need to do that anymore. I just I pick up my phone. I'm at the Home Depot on the way back. I just go and do it that way. And that's the experience people want because Amazon created it. I'm not, this is not a plug for Amazon. Amazon and companies like that created these incredible experiences and we as consumers expect that experience across everything we do in life, right? And when we be, when we hit when we hit uh, frustration or friction, we mm -hmm. tend to back off and try to find an easier way to do it. As humans, that's what we do. So when you get to a dealership that has a fantastic experience and they make it frictionless, right? And whether I want to speak to you on the phone, on text, on email, on chat, on MS, SMS, whatever I prefer to do is how I prefer to do it. We just need to make that pass super easy for consumers. Yeah. And, and I think two of the big driving forces between um, this digital transformation, especially over the past, I'd say five years were Carvana and Vroom. That, that really pushed a lot of dealerships to take notice on the digital retailing aspect of it. You know, I, I think um, I'll put my dealer hat back on, right? Cause yeah. I, I think, I think that's probably some of the best places I've ever learned from. Um, Look around what everybody else is doing. Look around what uh, Carvana and Vroom, maybe not Carvana today, right? But but yep. you know what I'm saying, right? But look around at these emergent businesses or technologies, you know, and, and find out what they're doing. Do your homework, right? For a 25-year car guy like myself to sell my daughter's Jeep who went to, to Japan, you know, uh, it's very easy to go to CarMax, right? And just get a value mm -hmm. on a car and, you know, it's good for three days, make my life easy, you know, but the car automotive professional in me says, go to your friends that have been in the business forever and, and give them the car. They're looking for used cars, you know, 2020 Cherokee summit, Grand Cherokee summit. Right. I knew they needed the car. I called some buddies I, and, and, but 
it was easy because I was in the car business. I knew who to call. So the reason why CarMax and those flourish is because they, they just made it easy. It's frictionless. Well, well, and to go back to your point, there's less and less people in the car business these days. Mm-hmm. Like, especially going back to 2020, I think, I can't remember the exact statistics, so this is going to be uh, generalized, but the, the industry shed 40% of its employees at brick and mortars. And we've had a hell of a time bringing people back on board, which is why you see so many dealerships short staff these days. Yeah, you know, uh, back in the day, the number one, uh, the number one spot that we couldn't hire for were technicians, B techs, A techs, master techs, diesel techs, mm-hmm. right? That was like, oh, John, if you could figure out how to get me more of those folks who can turn wrenches and be really good at it, I'll pay you a gold mine to do that. Now it's that plus the rest of the of the industry, right? And yep. and and making sure you have highly qualified you know, product salespeople that know how to sell the car and what the car is about and respond in the method that I want to be spoken to and with, right? Um, and to get them back, dealers had to change their way that, you, you know, you, you probably have to give them more than just, you know, uh, you know, a Saturday off a month, yeah. right? So they could be with their family. So, um, and, and there's, I know a lot of dealer groups that do that today. That yep. did not exist in my world. In my world, you work bing to bong, bell to bell. You come in your day off and you have Sunday off if you didn't sell cars on Sunday. And yes, I worked at dealerships that sold cars on Sunday. Imagine being open seven days a week, bing to bong. And at the end of the month. I mean, how how long, what's the longest you were at a dealership working during a Memorial or Labor Day sale? Uh, you know, the, the joke, uh, the joke before I came into the retail side or the vendor side was, um, you, you miss most July 4th, right? Picnics, yep. you miss most Memorial day. You miss most, uh, I had, I had Christmas day and I had not even new year's day. Cause many times we bring people back into new year's day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, and I, I look back at those, those times, you know, there's, you know, 12, 15 years of my life. Um, and I always wondered if, if it was more evenly based, right. More evenly based for both, you know, the employees at the dealership and the consumers and, and everybody, would have been a better experience and we'd have more people in the industry. I'd probably say yes. Right. Um, but especially now with technology, the way it is, we can do a lot of our functions that haven't been at the dealership. Right. I mean, CRM yeah. tools are now mobile yeah. based. Right. Yep. Um, so there's a, there's a lot going for the industry right now from a technology perspective that could, you know, really, you know, catapult anybody who wants to be in this business, you know, into, into higher levels. It's a, it's a great industry. It's a great job. You can make great money doing it. Um, yep. You just have to find a way to make make it all work. Yeah. Uh, to to make sure that we've got adequate time for the next um, handful of discussion topics, yeah. I do want to wrap up this slide and just ask. So over the last two years, since the beginning of the pandemic, um, we essentially had an artificial shutdown of the economy, an artificial recession, and then today we're we're seeing real macroeconomic impacts on the industry. And so I wanted to get your take on a couple of things, how the higher prices and interest rates are impacting the consumer. So what, what are you hearing from dealerships on that front? And then with the MPG, we're seeing it at, at offer up in terms of uh, consumers searching and what they're, they're purchasing being higher MPG mileage, but there's just not a whole lot of them out there. So where, where do you see dealerships going with the high prices, high interest rates, but also adapting to not having a whole lot of um, high MPG vehicles out there. 
Yeah, uh, I I think anytime the interest rates climb as they have and fuel prices, um, it impacts a lot of people, if not everybody yeah. with it, right? Um, you know, in terms of higher prices for the vehicles and higher interest rates, higher prices for both new and used, and the interest rates obviously have gone north, um, the buying power of that individual, right, uh, has been diminished, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, the car is higher, the interest rates higher, you know, you know, and we've all been in the situation where somebody wants an $85,000 vehicle for $300 a month with no money down. Simple math tells you that doesn't work, right? I mean, how many times at the dealership do we do simple math, right? Simple math says that doesn't work. I'm, I'm not on a 15 year note on these cars, right? Yeah. So, so that impacts the overall buying power of that consumer. And I think they're, they're very smart enough to know that the ones that are savvy about to understand that the other problem they're having is, is getting the car they want, right. With the options that they want and that they're willing Absolutely. to pay the five or six hundred dollars for, they don't want to go without heated seats. If you're in the Northeast, right. That, that's, that's just not an option. It's cold in the Northeast in the winter. Right. Um, so, you know, so a, a lot, what I hear from dealers is yes, we can charge more for both our new and our used cars and make more gross. Yes. And yes, interest rates are going up and people would be paying more for their for their interest rates. But we also see a, a larger group of people ordering those vehicles and waiting the time period for that vehicle to come in for the exact yep. vehicle with the options they want. Some manufacturers are right on the money and they deliver that thing in four to six weeks and others are dragging a lot further behind that, you know, and it might take six to nine months to get that exact vehicle in that, that person well, order. You know? Well, it's funny you say that. I think that particularly from what I've seen, American OEMs manufacturers are doing a great job of adapting to custom order vehicles. Um, but I haven't seen the same from uh, foreign automakers. It seems like, hey, I'm going to give you the specs that I want um, for, for a new vehicle, but nothing's promised. Essentially, you're going to call me if you get something close. Close, yeah. yeah. You, you, you know, remember I talked about the industry being cyclical? Well, here we mm -hmm. are again. And by the way, I was not around at this time. I know I'm, I'm old, but I was not around selling cars in the 50s and 60s. But in the 50s and the 60s, I remember going with my dad to go buy a car and he went to the dealership. They had three cars on the lot and they opened up a big old book and they said, check what you want, Mr. McAdams, and you know, leave us this deposit. And when the vehicle gets here, you can come pick up your vehicle. And that's how car dealership operations happened back then. Right. We didn't Why have did we ever move away from that. It, yeah. It's a much better experience for the consumer. Right. Yeah, but but here's what happens. Right. Um, dealers being ultra competitive, myself as well, don't want to lose a sale. So then dealers started ordering a bunch of cars to have on stock so I could get Alexander's business without having to order it. And then the other gotcha. dealer said, oh, and in order to compete with Alexander, I need to go out and do the same thing. And that's how this industry blossomed into having five, six, seven hundred, a thousand cars on the lot. Regardless of floor plan and floor plan assistance, we'll leave that conversation out of it, right? And now it's kind of going back the other way where, you know, think of the positive benefits of to the consumer and the dealer. Uh, for a dealer, I don't carry floor plan insurance. I don't need all the space on my on my lot. The consumer gets the exact vehicle they want. The downside is, is the competitive edge to get a car today goes away. Today, I want to buy that car today goes away. But we just have to retrain ourselves and say, you know what? That's the vehicle I want to drive for the next five years. I'll be paying five, six, seven hundred dollars a month for that vehicle. I want to love that vehicle. Mm -hmm. I'll order and I'll wait the six weeks if I can wait the six weeks, right? And that's really what's happening in the industry today. Is you know, unfortunately, some people need the car right away, 
well, they, they're going to have to settle for what's on the lot and they might have to yep. overpay for it, right? That's how it's, that's how it's happening today. Well, the, the other shift with this, this custom ordering trend, which I'm a huge fan of, um, is that consumers are kind of just okay with whatever price you, you give them. You say, hey, it's going to be a $70,000 GMC Sierra. Okay, great. I'll, we'll talk financing when it's here in eight weeks. You know, um, I miss the days of being a general manager um, because I was driving, you know, $85,000 lifted super duties that were brand new and not having to pay for them. It was wonderful. It was a great day, right? Um, but the 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 moment that I left, you know, retail and, and I had to call up a few friends for some some favors and, and, and get triple net, I started to realize that, you know, vehicles are very, very expensive. You know, when you're in the car dealership, sometimes you don't understand how expensive vehicles are for people. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's easy to go out and find a pickup truck now for one hundred thousand dollars. It's easy. It's easy. to. Do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and that equates to what a fifteen hundred dollar a month payment. If you've got an eight hundred credit score and you've got a couple grand down and you got a good rate. Right. I mean, it's, it's just a lot of money. Um, yeah. So I, I think I think people are just getting used to the prices of vehicles today. Right. Um, and that's good and bad. Good. Good. Because, you know, the, the dealership gets to make the money on it. Uh, because they're being charged from the manufacturer for it. But the downside of that is, is people, uh, uh, their, their disposable income is going down, right? Because they're spending more for the car than mm -hmm. they ever have, right? Out of their, out of their disposable income. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, so la last question, I, I gave you a heads up that I was going to bring this up, but OEM starting to go direct to consumer with EVs. That, that's been a huge topic of discussion, especially over the past three months. You've seen Volkswagen do announcements, GM, Ford. What, what are you hearing from dealerships and how are they, how are they preparing for that? Yeah, that's a hotbed topic, right? Yeah. Um, for sure, right? You know, when uh, you know, Mr. Farley announced it a few weeks ago that he's going direct to consumer for the EV vehicles, you know, many of my fellow dealers um, you know, did not like that message that came across. Um, and it's still, you know, not liked at all very much by them. It removes them from the, from, from the ability to actually do the brick and mortar part of the business. Mm -hmm. It ties them into doing the service only part of the business. Right. And, but you know, and that's good, but they're there to sell the car as well, to build that loyalty, to build that retention before they move into the back of the house. So I, I, I think, I think, listen, the, the industry is going to constantly change, um, you know, going direct to consumer is probably good for the consumer, right? The consumer that does not want to go to the car dealership can now order it directly and have it drop ship to the dealer, drop ship to their house, however they're going to do it. Well, how, how, how many consumers don't want to go and put their hands on the car before they purchase? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I always believe that people want to at least test drive the vehicle and, you know, sit and make sure it's comfortable that, you know, yeah, that's just maybe absolutely. the old school of me. Uh, I do know a large group of people that that doesn't seem to be a, a, a problem. They, they expect the car to be comfortable. They expect it to have, you know, a great stereo. They expect it to ride smooth and be quiet. Um, uh, but I think what happens there, Alexander, is the very first time you believe that and you take a vehicle delivered without touching it or sitting in it and you don't like it and you're locked in for four or five years and you're underwater. Well, I think that's going to change some people's minds and say, next time we go to the store, we find a store that has a great reputation, a great experience. Exactly. You know, we know where we're going to go. We know what we're going to look for. And let's go actually sit in that vehicle. Because at the end of the day, I personally have bought vehicles that I wish were a little bigger or a little bit smarter, uh, smaller yep. or a little bit faster. 
right? Um, but you know, I, I'm guilty of it. I mean, I've I bought my daughter uh, a vehicle when she started, you know, to drive at 16, and I probably should have driven it, but I wasn't driving it every day. So now I don't drive it at all because I don't like it, right? But yeah, um, but yeah. she loves it, right? So, um, but I think a lot of people think it's easy to order it online. It's harder to live with it for four or five years. Hey, I, John and Alexander, it's Brian. Yeah. I wanted to chime in real quick. It seemed like a good stopping point. We had somebody send in a question. Um, so it was an anonymous attendee, but they asked, uh, Carvana's advertising or convenience everywhere regarding both vehicle acquisition and sales aside. How can we let shoppers know that we can make it convenient for them to work with our dealership rather than the online retailers? I think that's a perfect segue into yeah. what, what we were going to talk about. Um, yeah, John, I'll, I'll give the floor to you on how, how individual rooftops can advertise the convenience that Carbon is offering. But um, obviously, legacy franchise especially have a little bit more stability. It's a, it's a, it's actually a great question and one that needs to be figured out, right? If we're going to win this game as franchise car dealers and we want to compete with the Carvanas or the Vrooms or even or, or the CarMaxes of the world that tout convenience, mm -hmm. we, we have to tout convenience plus, but we have to back up what we're saying. We have to back up what we're advertising, right? We can't beat those folks if we just advertise and then the experience is exactly what we offered, right? Here's, I'll give you an example. I'm going to go back to the Grand Cherokee again. I know I talked about it before. My daughter lived in Missouri. She's, you know, her husband's in the Air Force, got transferred to Okinawa. Brand new 2020 Grand Cherokee Summit. Pretty beautiful vehicle. Before I called my, my few buddies down here to say, hey, listen, I've got a car. I'm going to give it to you. I'm not going to give it to CarMax. I did go to CarMax. I went online. Mm -hmm. 11 o'clock at night. I went online. I put my VIN, my miles, put the condition. It was brand new, basically. And and they shot me back a price right then and there and said, your certificate's good for three days, Mr. McAdams. I went, well, I kind of know what the car is worth. Your guys weren't, you weren't too far off, by the way. They weren't too far off. And before I called my buddies, I called a couple of local places because I didn't want to drive the extra hour and a half to, to get this thing out of here. Yep. And you know what? I, and I went to dealers that said, they'll buy any car. It was super cheap. We'll give you the best rate. It was the hardest thing for me to do as a consumer. Right. I had I, I had to bring the car down. They had to look at it. I can only be there when the used car manual was there. You know, but then then I couldn't leave. They'll put the keys on top of the car. It became a problem. It became friction for me. So I almost, I almost considered just going five miles to CarMax and going, here it is, give my check. I'm out of here. It's not even my car, it's my daughter's car, right? Mm -hmm. It would have paid, I would have had no negative equity, it would have paid it off, would have been clear. And I said, you know what? I'm in the car business for a reason. I love being in the car business. It's been very, very good to me and my family. I'm going to give my buddy a call who's an hour and a half away and, and say, hey, man, do you want, I'll give you all the specs. I'm not looking to make any money on it. Just get it out clean or we're gone. And he said, yep, no problem. You got it as long as you drive it an hour and a half to me. I was like, oh, man, really? How am I going to get back? How am I going to get back? It's an hour and a half away. Uber doesn't deliver. They're not going to deliver me out here. So you know what I did? I bought my daughter a vehicle when I was there <laughs> and I drove it back. Uh, so, so when you say convenience, make it convenient. If you want to acquire cars, make it easy to acquire cars. Give the certificate. I don't give you KBB, Gals, Blackbook, whatever your methodology is for valuing cars. Well, let, let's hold on real quick. 
Before we get into that, I, I want to know real specific about that experience. Where were the major friction points with dealing with an individual dealership? So great question. You know, car guys, we always tell people what we do. Yep. Hey, it's John McAdams. I've been in the car business for 20 years. I ran a bunch of stores at GM up north. You know, I'm down here now. I'm trying to sell my, my daughter's car. Can I talk to GM? GM's not available. Okay, great. Can I talk to a, a sales manager? Yeah, but they're with customers right now. Okay, is the used car guy there? Yeah, but he's at lunch. Can you give him a call back? Sure, I could. I don't want to, but I could. If you if that's the if that's the process, I'll do it. So of course I hung up and I you know gave a call back. I still can't get a hold of anybody. And uh, I was told by the receptionist, so let's bring the car down because they need to see it anyway. I said, mm -hmm. so you want me to drive it an hour, maybe maybe we'll call it twenty minutes for me, maybe not to have the manager there that can actually give me the number on the car. You know, I'm in the car business. I'm kind of giving you, I'm trying to give you the easy layup here. I'm in the car business. I'm, I'm not looking to make money on it. And that's where the friction began, right? And I tried it at a couple stores. Um, and I realized at that point that on this side of the fence, we, you know, on the other side of the fence, the other side, we say a lot of things, right? Yep. We want to acquire cars, make a convenient thousand dollars over, blah, blah, blah. But on the consumer side, maybe we should take our hat off and try that experience ourselves and try to call the dealership or try to email the dealership or try to text the dealership and try to get an actual number without having to go down. Now I know that that's the process. It's always been the process, but if CarMax can do it, why can't we, right? It doesn't say I have to give you the 19,000. It says, as long as it comes in that condition, everything you said, I can give you the money, right? How many people say the condition's excellent, but we all know it's good. That happens all the time or good and truly so fair. So what, and this kind of goes with the third bullet here, um, where are the gaps in technology then? How can technology step in and help dealerships offer that same experience that a CarMax Carvana Vroom is able to offer in terms of instant cash offer? I put that in quotes because you're right. It's got to be inspected and assessed to make sure that it's above board. Yeah. But by the way, CarMax says that in fine print too. Yeah, a car has to meet the specifications that you said it was. If it's not, the, the deal is null and valid, and invalid, right? So, so we just have to make it, we have, it might be an unpopular thing. We have to stop trying to make it a five pound deal on the way in the house, right? Like, listen, if the car is worth 20, don't offer me 14, right? Because CarMax is going to be offering me 17 and you're already going to be behind the eight ball, right? Get in line with the, what it's going to be. I'm all in favor of making a five-pound deal. You're not going to find a guy who loves a five-pound deal more than me, right? But at the end of the day, on the way in the door, let's use technology to our benefit. If we know people are looking to sell their car, let's give them the best possible price we can and work our way down from there, right? We can mm -hmm. peel them off the ceiling. We do it all day long as automotive professionals. There's nobody better than selling cars than us. We're, we're it. But let's not try to hold the gross before the customer even gets here. I can tell you there's so many cars out there that people are willing to sell the dealers because I talked to a lot of people that don't have any car dealer. And then they call me, John, can you call this guy and get a better number? No, I don't get involved in car deals. I'm, I don't do it. But I know, but I know as soon as they tell me that that is at least three G off the number. We're trying to hold gross on the way in the door. What, you know, that, that's not how we do it. You, you, you get them in the door and then you work your way back from there. You touch all the scratches you touch on the dings. You see the wheels are messed up. There's a burn hole in the seat. You know, I mean, we can work our way down, but you're never going to get a shot to win that if you try to hook them before they even get to get the car in the door, right? 
So what what do you recommend then for, for a technology solution to give them a pricing upfront that's going to be attractive enough to get at least get them in the door face to face? Yeah, yeah. Listen, you know, and there's there's technologies out there that do that for sure, right? Yep. But we have to we have to we have to embrace that technology, right? Which means that the store and its people have to embrace that technology from the receptionist all the way down to the back end of the house. So if I come in for service and and you know and I see that you know maybe there's a new car out front and I say to the service advisor, you know, I think maybe it's time for a new car. Well, you can still run that car through the shop, make your money, but you should tee that off to the front end of the house, right? You should tee it off. Right. Because yep. if, if you don't do that, I'll find somebody else to buy my car. It might be your brand. It might be another brand, but I'll find somebody to buy this car. Right. And have people embrace technology. I know it's a weird thing in the car business. I know technology can get kind of crazy. Right. But it's not that difficult, especially when 95% of the people are online right now using technology to either research a car, buy a car, find out what dealership to do it at. Right. Don't, don't discount what's out there today from a technology perspective. And if you've got people who don't like technology in the car business in 2022, you need to look at that, right? I mean, I, I personally do everything I do on text. Everything I do is on, well, you can call me, you can email me, but if you want me right away, you text me, I'm there, right? I'm there. And I think, I think that's how 90% of the people are, right? Yet many dealers don't use texting as a solution today, right? You know, there's, there's, I, there's salespeople inside of dealerships that don't use texting today because they're not so, familiar with it. So this is a good segue into uh, the gaps in the industry with communicating with customers, kind of meeting them where they are initially. Yeah. Um, and, and I always use the example, and this I've been told is a hot take, but I would not communicate through email. I think it's a dead form of communication for the automotive industry. The only thing that it's really effective at is confirmation emails. Confirm your appointment confirm a service, confirm a sale, whatever it is. Um, but as far as communicating, we know phone calls are great, being able to get a voice call with somebody, but when was the last time any of us answered a, a random number as it was calling in? Yeah. If, if I don't know the number, it's probably marked as spam on my Verizon account anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I, I probably get a I probably get a hundred calls from Facebook a day, right? I, but I have my direct contact at Facebook. I've got their cell phone, yep. so I don't I don't know why they're calling me. So I just send it to voicemail, right? It's probably somebody trying to sell me something from Facebook. But at the, at the end of the day, it's really you got to communicate on the method that people want. Although I'm not a big email user, some people are, right? So you need to be mm -hmm. able to provide that. But you know, I start internally, right? So I, I had a dealer group discussion, um, had nothing to do with social at all. And he was asking me how to increase, you know, certain area of his business. I said, the first place I'm going to look is your DMS. And if you don't have at least an 80% email and cell phone collection rate, that's where we're going to start. And he said, don't worry about it. My guys and gals are great. I've got that. Don't every time we RDR a car, we've got to have it. I go, yeah. But when you RDR a car, the email has got to be in the RDR tool, not necessarily the DMS, right? Or the CRM mm -hmm. because, oh yeah. So it turns out that his email collection rate was about 60%, leaving 40% that had no email. Okay. And okay. his cell phone collection rate was about 30%. Okay. That surprises oh, me. Right? So, so now cell phone should be in the CRM before the sale. Home phone, if it's probably the same, that's fine. Email should be in there for an hour or the other car. But when you get back to the end of the, you know, the back of the house, it should be a, a a conversation with everybody who comes in the door. 
Is your best mm -hmm. landline this? Is your best cell phone that? Is this the best email to reach you at? By the way, we use texting. Would you prefer text or or do you want me to call you, right? Um, we have to give it to them on the method and the medium that they want to be contacted with, you know? And, and for me, it's texting. I, I will do this entire transaction, including paying for the service on, on my wife's navigator all via text. And I will drop off that loaner without seeing anybody in the night drop box. And I'll pick up my car and I'll be gone. I will never... That's just me. But there were, truth be told, there was about 15 people in the customer waiting lounge waiting for their car. Mm -hmm. And if I glanced around, I would say 80% of those people were probably email and phone call people, right? Um, there was the other 20 were probably definitely, definitely uh, texting, you know, and that was a generalization gotcha. on my part, right? Not, so not to put to, a label on people, but. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to, right? But at the end of the day, like, you know, if my 88-year father-in-law dropped his car off, texting is not going to get his attention, right? Correct. Um, so just be open to the mediums that are out there and embrace them all, right? And ask for permission. You know, Alex, I know that's great. Is it okay if I text you, right? Is texting your best form of communication? Because I know you're busy. If it is great, I want to make sure I've got your cell phone right. Yep, I've got your cell phone. You know, we can communicate via text. If they say, no, it's email, then do it via email, right? I mean, it's it's just a simple conversation so, uh, to have with anybody. Other, other than text, what do you think are some other big big up and coming technologies um, that dealerships maybe are using like the, the more forward thinking early adopters um, that most dealerships just aren't paying attention to yet. You know, um, there's always new things in this business, right? There's always shiny lures and there's always things that work and there's always things that are probably being vetted tests that may or may not work in the future. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that we keep our eye on them all and uh, and if it doesn't work for dealer A, it might work for dealer B because I have, and I've been over in probably 5,000 dealerships in my lifetime. I have never seen a dealership operations run the exact same way, even in the same group, right? So, you know, if you're part of a 20 group or, you know, you've got some buddies, you know, uh, in the industry and they say, oh, I've, you know, I, I, I tried this and it didn't work. I still think you should check it out yourself and do a full test on it yourself. And maybe it didn't, it doesn't work for you, but, but maybe it will because everybody's dealership is run differently. You know, today, you know, three years ago, everybody was talking about, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, you know, and all that great stuff. It's still out there, but don't forget about those TikToks and those Snapchats and those Pinterest of the world, right? It's not a selfish plug. plug. I'm just telling you, that's where the, all the fish are going. Right. And mm -hmm. we have a decision to make. I'm going to go back to 2020 or I'm going to go back to 2000. Sorry. Are we going to stay brick and mortar? Right. And, and think that Google is going to destroy us or do we embrace Google? Right. As, as everybody has and grows our business. The same thing applied to Facebook when it came out. Uh, Facebook is not for the car dealership. We don't need that. Right. And all of a sudden it became part. How'd of that work out? Yeah. How'd that work out? Right. <laughs> And trust me, a year and a half ago, I would not be sitting here talking to you about TikTok and Snapchat. It would be the first thing from my mind, but yeah. that's where the fish are migrating to. And there's a lot of them over there, you know, and I've seen a lot of great technology, you know, from a different perspective, from both a vendor perspective, but as a dealer, I have it, you know, and, and my CEO will tell you, John has a different, a different angle on technology. He views everything through the eyes of a dealership. Mm -hmm. it's 15 years of my life, right? I mean, I had 500 people reporting to me. I had 500 lives I was responsible for to make these dealerships make money so they could still have a, have a, have a, a livelihood. 
So everything I do, I put my dealer hat on. I say, you know what? Will this ROI match what my expenditure expenditure is, right? Um, and yes, I tried a lot of things. I tried a lot of crazy stuff, and some of it worked, and some of it didn't. But I'd rather I'd rather try and fail than not try at all. So you talked about TikTok, Snapchat. So do you think that the at this point, legacy automotive marketplaces like your car gurus, cars.com, auto trader, are those still impactful? Are they still positive ROI or? Yeah, I, I listen, you, you need, you need, you know, third-party leads unless you generate your own. So, you, yeah. you know, generate yeah. your own, do a lot of SEO, do some pay-per-click, do some advertising, get your own leads, but there's going to be a fair share of people uh, that that have no idea what your dealership name is, right? You could have, you could be the biggest dealership in your county, and they have no idea what your name is. They just know you as that big building on that highway, right? Mm -hmm. I found out firsthand at the top twenty-five dealer group. I thought everybody who knew we were, we we marketed. This budget was crazy, and I literally got thirty-five to forty miles away from that dealership, and people were like, "Who? Where? What? Who?" So. It's important to know that it's really a very small microcosm for the community, right? So mm -hmm. you probably will need third-party leads or, you know, some of those if you're going to drive used car sales and operations, right? The first place most consumers go when they want to look to buy a used car are those places. Because today, there's really no big wholesaler, right? There's no big wholesaler that all these dealers become part of and say, okay, well, I'm a retailer. Here's all my used cars. Now, the online classifieds are very close to that, but a lot of that is uh, either B2B or B2C, right? And yep. there's millions of people on that, on those channels. But typically, if I'm looking for a, you know, I'm going to make it up. I'm, I'm looking for a 2020 Rubicon four-door, four-wheel drive, manual transmission with a hard top. I'm not going to search 15 dealerships for it. I, I just want it. I, I would have to go to a, you know, one of those portals in order to find it, but being the car guy I am, I would just call the dealer direct, right? But some people submit the lead from there. So I think there's a yep. need. The most important takeaway from that I have is this, is look at the ROI, right? Look at the ROI, set yourself up with technology so you can really look at the ROI. The reports that you get, you know, could be slighted one way or another. Look at the ROI, right? How much do you spend to how many leads came in? How many appointments were sold? How many cars did you sell, right? And yes, people will tell you, well, you know, last click attribution doesn't exist. It doesn't. But you, you need to set a line somewhere. Not, not everybody can take credit for that car sale. I mean, yeah, there's there's got to be some sort of attribution that you can count on. Oh, yeah. So 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 on that, I kind of want to dig into. In today's economy, I'm going to loop it back to what we were talking about. You know, we're in an economic downturn. Prices are high. Interest is high. High gas gas prices. Everything's being impacted right now. Is it more important for a dealership to focus on? marketing the brand or to acquire leads my personal opinion yep. it'll, it could be right or wrong right i'm i'm open to open dialogue and discussion on it today i'd be i would be marketing my brand i'd be okay. marketing my value to the community i'd be marketing all my value ads why why i'm here why i want you to come here because the new cars are going to sell themselves, right? At this point, there's not enough of them on the ground. You know, th that's going to happen. On the used car side, they're getting harder and harder to acquire. Some dealers that acquired them at higher prices are now underwater on them. They got to move them before they lose more water. You know, everybody's at the auction overpaying for these things. 
I, I don't know if that's a great place to spend all of your marketing dollars, right? I would say for me, I would, I would be very light on new. I'd be heavier on, on, on used car, actual inventory. And I would be doing some great branding of my store in areas that I couldn't get into before because other dealers have stopped theirs, right? So you can get to, mm -hmm. like, if I stop, it becomes an open spot. I now can have an opportunity to, to grab that, what I call a battleground zip that, code. That right? market share, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, and the other thing that's very important, and I had this conversation with a large OEM yesterday. I said, right now we are all making a lot of money on new cars. I get it. I'm with you. I wish I was selling new cars again. But in about 18 months, when people start to figure out how to get out of that vehicle because they're bored with it or they want to get something else, their payment's too high, and they want to bring it back to your store and get something a little smaller and find out that that great deal that they got 18 months ago, they're now buried on by $15,000. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, you should be you should be working on your reputation management today. Don't wait 18 months to fix that. Like today, get the highest possible reputation ranking you get because when those things self-correct and they will, and people are a little upset that they're buried, although they signed the paperwork, we all get it. They're going to vent and they're going to vent online, right? So get that kind of lined up. Make sure you're doing a great job on sales and service for, for your reputation management across all the channels, not just Google, not just Facebook, but all the channels, right? And give the customer a great experience, but more importantly, bond with your community, right? Dealers are so philanthropic. I, I just wish we get the word out. Dealers give away millions and millions and millions of dollars a year to the community and expect nothing in return. Right. That, now it's the that's time. A, a great point. Um, we all hear about shopping local and the automotive industry isn't something that you hear that very often. Um, but with how many people the automotive industry employs, even today with down numbers, chances are everybody on this call. And, and I know even in my neighborhood, there's a couple of people that work at, at dealerships, either as a sales rep or general sales manager, service tech. We're all interconnected in this industry. Yeah. Um, but one, one thing that I wanted to bring up, so you talked about branding. So our automotive inventory ads, a little bit less, less important because you're right. The, the cars in general, whether it's new or used are going to sell themselves. And it's not really the, the price or the features that's going to get people in the door. Yeah, I, I would run branding ads. I'd slow roll new automotive inventory ads. So new AIA ads for new cars. Yep. I'd slow roll. I'd bring my budget down. I'd have a presence so I don't give up that that battleground zip code that I've been hard hard fought to win. But I'd definitely run AIA ads and, and even lead gen ads on the used car side, right? I, yes. And for the dealers that have availabilities, meaning hours left to sell in the shop, I'd be advertising service, right? But make no, if you're three weeks back on an oil change, the one thing you don't need to do is advertise a 9.99 oil change. It's not going to turn out well, right? It's, it's just not, right? Now, if you have hours left to sell, do it all day long, get them yep. in, touch the vehicle, move them to the front. So, you know, uh, for me, if I was back in my chair running my stores, I'd be branding my store into uh, my current, areas of, of responsibility and external ones where I know dealers have backed off because I now I can go grab that. I can do a land grab digitally and grab it. I would be marketing my used cars through AIA and even lead gen, right? I would definitely absolutely retarget everybody who comes to my website without any doubt. I'd retarget mm -hmm. that all day long, twice on Sunday. 
right? And then decide for yourself if you've got hours left to sell and service, right? I mean, you really got to peel back that onion, right? Go literally find out, are there hours left to sell? Do we have an opportunity to, you know, get more cars to the shop? Because from a sales perspective, if I was selling cars again, I can tell you right now, I'd be in that lane every morning at 7 a.m. I'd be, I'd be touching every vehicle that rolls through there, right? I, I do that in a heartbeat um, because that's my best source of collecting a new customer, mm -hmm. right? They came in with their vehicle. They think they're coming in for an oil change. I think it's a great vehicle. I can buy it. I think I've got some equity in the vehicle. If I can get them out of that ride into another newer ride with a full warranty, by the way, for the same payment or less is something you would on, you'd want to talk about, Alexander. If you said yes, yeah, well, great. Warranties are a really interesting thing because we, at OfferUp, um, I'm sure every big company in the industry does this, but we spend a lot of time on con consumer research and where things are headed. Mm -hmm. um, and it, the feedback we kept, keep getting from consumers is that, especially unused vehicles, um, they want the extended warranty, they want inspections, they want some sort of a peace of mind and when Correct. you talk about branding the customer experience, when it comes to after the sale, taking care of the customer after the sale and keeping that connection, the extended warranties, um, you know, aspects of F&I, but also the inspections on the front end so that they have peace of mind from a third party. How many dealerships do you work with that take advantage of those things? Because it, is it widespread? Because from what I'm hearing, the especially the inspection side of it um, isn't as prominent in the industry on a on a dealership by dealership basis yeah. i would say it's a pot of gold right so mm -hmm. once that vehicle is burning gas across the curb we believe it services the job to keep them happy till they come back to the front end of the house yep. it's probably it's probably an old old school thinking it's wrong let's say I, let's say i purchased a used vehicle and i and at the time i didn't want to get the warranty I didn't want to get, you know, the rust and the dust. I didn't want to get the wheel protect. All the things that I turned down in the box, you know, we never go back and ask that consumer if they need that again in the future, right? But we have a CRM tool. We have a DMS tool. We know who took advantage of the extended warranty. We know who took advantage of the of those F&I products and who didn't. The people who didn't should be going into an audience or the regular cadence and saying, Hey, by the way, you know, love your business. Thanks for, you know, being a partner, you know, with us, by the way, did you know that you can still get the extended warranty? You know, it's three months after you bought that vehicle because mm -hmm. some people will be like, Oh yeah, now, now I have the extra, whatever it is to go get the extended warranty. And that's the peace of mind I really wanted, but I didn't want my payment to go up by, you know, $38. Right. Yeah. But I've got a check coming back from the government for 1200. Maybe that'll work. Right. It's a, it's a blind spot in the industry. So, you know, I, I've always did that through my CRM tools. Um, I put them into an audience. I do a Google AdWords campaign. I put on my website and I'd run a social campaign, right? If I'm going to spend five hours on social, you might as well let me know that I can still buy and send a warranty on the vehicle that I drive from you, but I just didn't take advantage of when I was there, right? It happens all the time. And any... And we, we have another slide, but I realize that we're already over time. I'm really good at doing that, yeah, uh, going job. overtime with these conversations. But is there anything um, that the majority of dealers are not not keeping an eye out for that they should be? Is there anything right now that's kind of an up and coming technology or marketing channel that dealerships should really be jumping into uh, feet first? You know, it's cyclical, and anytime the dealerships start making money globally in an economy mm -hmm. tend to lay off holding our people accountable, setting up the processes for success 
and looking for the future, right? Now is the time to make sure that we're not getting re relaxed on our processes that we set up to win this game before this all came about. And it's really the time to set yourself up for success in the future, right? Now is not the time to forget everything we've been learning and been training and going to do because we've only got five cars on the lot and I can make an auction out of it and make 10 grand on that car. Yes, mm -hmm. that is a great day. I'm with everybody on the call that does that. But along the way, we probably didn't do the road to the sale. Why? Because we didn't need to, right? I've only got five cars on the lot. But what happens when you now have 200 cars back on the lot and you've got to do the road to the sale? You've got to overcome objections. You've got to do all the things that we've been training to do. Looking at the numbers, looking at the ROI, looking at every lead that comes in and not just saying because they didn't buy in 30 days, it's a bad lead. What? I heard somebody tell me the other day, oh, they didn't buy in 14 days. They're bad leads. I, I said, I don't know what world you came, that, you came from. Yeah, right? that's a fantasy land issue. Yeah, nine, nine out of 10 times in this industry. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, listen, everybody deserves a spot every now and then, right? But at the end of the day, you've yep. got to work to get this job done, right? So push harder on your training. Push harder on your knowledge. Now is the time, right? You've, you, you probably actually have the time now. Push harder now yeah. because when this self-corrects, and trust me, it will. I've been doing this a long time. It will. The ones that self-correct now and set themselves up for success three months from now, six months from now are going to win that game in a big way. So would you say now is because we've got more time and because it's easier to actually sell the cards to test and measure different top of the funnel channels? I would. I would. Right. I mean, I would no, no different than any other sales pipe. Right. Fill yeah. the top of the funnel or put as much wood in the wood pile as you can. So when the weather gets cold, you've got wood to burn. Right. So, yes, it means cultivating those relationships that might be three months out or six months out. Right. Just because they can't buy today or maybe they're in a, a lease and they can't get out for another 12 months and you can't find a way to get them out. It doesn't mean that you forget about them until one month before the lease expires and say, hey, it's John again. I'm ready to buy your car now. Yeah. You better keep that love going. You better because filling that top of the funnel is key to this whole thing. I know it sounds weird. Today's economy in the car business, it, you don't need to do that because it's just not there. But it's going to change. It's going to self-correct. And the ones that have the most wood on the wood pile are going to be warm in the winter. Well, and I love how you you pointed out, don't wait till that month before the lease expires. That's the keeping in touch, creating a relationship, but also prioritizing the customer experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've said it over and over again on this, this conversation that vehicles are not selling by price or by features anymore. It's more on the customer experience and how well does the dealership take care of me for my first interaction, whether it's live chat or email, all the way through the sale and the extended warranty and the follow-up. Yep, I cool. agree. Well, I think we covered, covered quite a bit. Uh, any closing remarks? And then Brian, if you want to jump on, if we have any questions from the audience. Yeah, just hopping on. Um... I don't see any other questions that came in. Um, so, and yeah, so I think we, I think we covered most of it. Do you guys have any closing remarks? John? Uh, for me, just, you know, thanks for everybody for getting on here. You know, um, I'm a big believer in education. I believe an educated consumer is the best thing for the car business. I really do believe that. And if something, you know, hit today and it helps you do your job better and provide for your families and uh, grows the dealership, then, then I think my time here was well worth it. 
Um, if you ever needed me, you can always get a hold of me. I'll be willing to, you know, tell you what I think. Certainly, I think that's what makes the car world go around. I, I know a lot of people that are really good friends that we don't agree on everything. But at the end of the day, my job is to educate, right, and help people in this industry get to the next level if they want to do that. So I appreciate the the forum and, and facilit facilitating it for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with the, the education and and not just uh, having an educated buyer, but also having educated dealers that are up to speed with the cutting edge technology. And are, I, I really think if you're an early adopter with some of this technology that's coming out, whether it's um, you know customer centric experience or back of the house dealership infrastructure and making you guys run more efficiently, those are the dealerships that are gonna win. So uh, like we just talked about, lean into new channels, test and measure right now, and also look forward to new technology that's going to make the entire industry different but in a in a better way yeah well thank you guys i uh, i appreciate you guys sharing your insights today i just like john i was in automotive retail for uh gosh 17 years total i've been out of the game for five years on the vendor side now but um man it's a it's a totally different climate out there so i think i think this has been constructive and hopefully there was some insight shared that's going to help our dealers out there um, so thanks everybody for being on. We super appreciate it. And um, uh, you guys, anybody that signed up, uh, registered for the webinar, attended the webinar, we'll get a recording of today's webinar as well. So we'll make sure that goes out soon. So thanks again. Have a good rest of your day and, and uh, we'll sign off. Okay. That's great. Thank have you. Everybody. Thanks guys. Bye.